this is Listeners, welcome back to Warp Celluloid. I'm your host, Jack Rourke, with my co-host... Chandler Williams. How you doing today, Chandler? What's new? Pretty good, Jack. I just uh, finished up a painting, and um, you know, I'm chilling. Just got some homework done. Alrighty. I have still have a lot of homework to do this weekend, but no matter. Let's do, let's do this. Today, we have a very special guest. Would you care to introduce yourself? Uh, hello there. I'm Dal Nagatone. I'm here pretty much through nepotism because I'm Jack's <laughs> friend. It's all good, man. Look, all the guests we have on the show are basically just our friends. Uh, same, with my, same with mine. I am the host of a podcast that you probably haven't heard of. It's called Lost in the Vault. I co-host with my friend Amanda Dukowitz, and essentially we discuss the overlooked and underseen films that come out of Disney. Disney, or as we put it, the Disney films that don't quite have the magic. You know, cult classics, forgotten gems, absolute crap. We've covered stuff like Popeye with Robin Williams and Shelley Duvall. We've done, um, we've done our latest episode. We did uh, the Tim Allen remake of the Shaggy Dog. Which, oh God! Didn't that have Robert Downey Jr. in it? It d- does have Robert Downey Jr. Oh my wow. God! I remember what? seeing that when I was a kid. It's such a bizarre, per- it, it's unintentionally creepy because both Tim Allen, Tim Allen commits to being a dog man. Like I, I mentioned this in the actual cast itself, but he really commits to running around all fours and growling and sniffing everything. It's like a, a like the Disney family friendly version of like a body horror movie. It's disturbing. Oh yeah. dear lord! Speaking of disturbing and body horror stuff, that's tangentially related to Family Fair. What will we be talking about today? We're today talk- we'll be talking about Meet the Feebles. Just once in a lifetime, there comes a motion picture so courageous, so explosive that all else pales in comparison. A motion picture that breaks with convention. Disregards taboos. Risks 90 days in jail. Feeling shy. Are you blessed? This is a family show, for Christ's sake. And digs deep into hitherto unexplored regions. This is such a picture. Oh, what beautiful white fur. The barriers are down. Sex. I'm hot, Bletch, but not the way you think. Drugs. Animal husbandry. Why did you bring it here? It's not mine. You know it's not. We will let the court decide that, shall we? Corruption. Barry, do me a line. From the killing fields of Vietnam to the playing fields of Beverly Hills. Oh, what the this is the motion picture that dares to probe the secret innermost fears. It's the big one, Harry. No, it can't be. I think a precaution. That eats at the heart. That tears at the soul. Please, God, 
I know I've been a bad bunny. From Peter Jackson, the director who gave you bad taste, comes a movie with no taste at all. Meet the Feebles, a motion picture that gives all it's got. Meet the Feebles, the adult puppet movie with something to offend everyone. Please, don't tell your friends how it all comes out in the end. Yippee! What did y'all think? Meet the I... Feebles is one of... Oh, sorry. Sorry, I no, should really... You go ahead. Okay, you go man. Ahead. Meet the Feebles is one of my all-time favorite movies, and it has been since I first saw it back in high school from a YouTube rip. Really? I saw it the exact same way. This is this was the first time I've ever heard of this movie. I watched it last night um, in preparation for the podcast, and I uh, did not know what to say. It was, it was definitely definitely a trip. I watched um, it while I was eating breakfast, and I would not advise it. <laughs> oh, God, no. Especially not that ending. Jesus uh, or, ending, or anything involving Harry. Anything part. involving Harry is, is too much even for me. And anything I involving the walrus or the... You mentioned David Cronenberg earlier. This almost makes me want to see what a David Cronenberg Muppet movie would look like. Oh, my gosh. Tell me you wouldn't pay money to see that shit. <laughs> uh, like I mean, mission. the fly had puppety creatures, I guess. And there's a character in this that looks kind of like Brundlefly. There's oh, a... yeah. The, the fucking fly in the sky. Probably the yeah, most yeah. hateable character in this movie, in my personal opinion. They're all hateable. Which, you know, yeah, uh, they're all disgusting and filthy. Not Wobbert. Like, Ro- not Lucille. Not Arthur. You know, they're fine. Harry is pretty sympathetic. Hell, Heidi, before she, you know, starts murdering everybody commando. at the end. Yeah. <laughs> God, the giant minigun. We will definitely get to the... What was the reason you wanted to talk about this? Because I think this was uh, your suggestion. Yeah, it was. I was just tossing out ideas. I think it was either this or God Told Me To, which is another one of my favorite movies. I think I came up with one that I thought would have better tied into my show afterwards, but now I've forgotten it all over again. But this I'm is blaming man. I mean, I wanted to check out some early Peter Jackson for a while. And so I mean, at Disney least this is an excuse. I mean, Disney owns the Muppets. You know, and this is a parody of the Muppets, so you know it still ties in with my show. So that's tangential. It works. I mean, we're yeah, thinking about covering the thing, and even that's not that weird. So that's a good episode. I really need to rewatch the thing. That that's one I feel like I I need a couple times to like jive with. You know, sometimes thing, I actually like that with I got- me. Got the uh, eight dollar like the Universal Blu-ray from like 2011 or whatever. Literally weeks before Shout Factory re- re- announced theirs, and I'm just kicking myself like, damn it, I should have waited. You know that's always the fucking worst. You know what's the worst? I've got, I, I got like that Twilight Time used cars. You know Twilight Time, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. If for those who don't know, Twilight Time is this like specialty home video company that released deliberately limited runs of like. I think like a thousand copies each of Blu-rays, and only God, those. And then that. once they sell, I hate sell that out, run stuff. Yeah, really. And then once it's sold out, you know, it scal- scalpers just sell them for outrageous prices on the secondary market. So I get the driver on DVD because I couldn't find a Blu-ray of it at a decent price. Yeah, so I have. I have the Twilight Time Blu-ray of Used Cars, which I got as a Christmas present. Apparently, like seventy dollars. Nice. 
And now Shout Factory announced their Blu-ray of used cars. So, fuck me. The thing about getting that is my as a birthday gift for my dad. Honestly, we, he showed that to me one time at Thanksgiving, and that was honestly one of my favorite memories with him. Used, used cars is great. Would used cars qualify for this show? Because I'd like to talk about definitely. Fifty bucks never killed anyone. I. Uh, what else? Um, yeah, but I don't even think used cars is the most expensive blue in my collection. I'm but that would probably be my out of print. Friday the 13th Blu-ray box set, which I got at the graduation present. Oh boy. Nice. Yeah. Could you give us a synopsis of this film? Um, Me? Oh, Don, you do that. I, I don't know how to sum this movie up. Yeah, Meet, go ahead. Meet the Feebles is, is pretty much a day in the life behind the scenes of a Muppet Show-esque variety show, um, the Fabulous Feebles Variety Hour. Though... The big banner says, and the title of the movie is Meet the Feebles, and they sort of leave it deliberately ambiguous on just why this show, in particular, show so important, because they mentioned later on they're now a syndicated series, so is this, like, the episode that, like, push them over into syndication, because, you know, you've got to have, like, a certain amount of episodes to qualify for syndication, is this the first episode, what's, they don't really say, but essentially it's a whole series of, of intersecting subplots, um, about, about like the ensemble cast of this uh, variety show. It's an ensemble piece, essentially. Yeah, pretty much. Honestly, I think it plays more like a series of barely connected episodes. Not a criticism, mind you. I'm just an observation. And more than like a straight narrative. Oh, I, I abso- absolutely agreed. But, you know, it, it absolutely more, fits. More because it, piece. it definitely takes cues from like the behind-the-scenes antics that you'd see on classic episodes of The Muppet Show, but, oh God, you know, right. far more extreme. Far more extreme. Oh extreme is the best way to put it. I remember the way I summed it up was basically the Happy Time Murders, if it actually went all the way with its premise. <laughs> Happy Time Murders, I saw Happy Time Murders, and... I saw I it as well. I didn't I hate did too. it. I think the main problem with Happy Time Murders is that the actual plot of it is the... No, not Melissa McCarthy. She's she's fine in certain things. Um, it's that it's the project's more than the her acting. Honestly, I think that's the problem. Yeah, I, it, it's that it's that the main plot of it, like the murder mystery, is probably like the least interesting part of that movie. I much preferred like the moments where it was just all this like strangeness on the periphery, like the street performer who cheerfully yeah. announces his wife is dead, or that like <laughs> Brian hadn't forgot about that. Or that Brian of Henson performed crab that like pops out of the garbage can. Like if the film was or like the inbred Muppets, you know. Oh god, Adam's rib. Okay, uh, that I, actually was a good joke. I feel like um Happy Time Murders would have been a much better movie if they had like just dropped the murder mystery and had done like on a crash with Muppets. Yeah. Oh yeah. oh my god, that'd be amazing. Honestly, I think the problem with the halftime murders was it didn't go far enough enough and i don't think it's as creative visually because a lot of it is like shot flat daytime stuff it's, it's stuff. weird no. because brian henson does have a good visual eye at least in his previous movies he directed exactly. like you look at muppet christmas carol and muppet treasure island i wonder if it was a passion like, project yeah it was a this was like happy time murders like 10 years in production because Jeez. the jim henson company is notoriously terrible at getting anything produced in a timely manner. Like, look how long it took for that Doozer spin-off series or that Dark oh, Crystal God. prequel. 
which by the way dark crystal age of resistance fucking fantastic oh god i still haven't finished that and i feel like shit Dude, I mean, the first couple of episodes were really really good it was really really good i haven't finished watchmen yet speaking of stuff i haven't finished i don't have hbo so i haven't even gotten around to it yet hmm. do you prefer this over um happy time murders oh 100 like, it's no fucking yeah. contest totally I'm fascinated. One of the reasons I was actually really excited to talk about was because it is an early Peter Jackson joint, and I'm kind of fascinated by where directors start out. Like, I really want to check out Edgar Wright's first film, uh, Fistful of Fingers. I have not Western seen Nerdy. that. I think it's I on YouTube somewhere. Oh. Could you see Peter Jackson's trajectory when watching this film? More so with stuff like uh, Dead Alive or uh, Bad Taste, which we are definitely talking about bad taste on here. Just look at the po- Okay, do yourselves a favor, listeners. Look at the poster for Bad Taste and then get back to this. It's some wild shit. Bad, ta- bad Taste actually, I think, is probably the least of Peter- uh, Let's call it Peter Jackson's gross-out trilogy. You know, Bad Taste, Meet the Feebles, and Dead Alive. I think- Dead Alive's probably the best. And this is somewhere in the middle. I have sort of waffle between, I feel like most of the time I'd favor Feebles, but I'd ha- I haven't seen, I haven't actually haven't watched Dead Alive in a while. That's another really expensive out-of-print Blu-ray I got. Oh, I got They're the remastering them all in 4K, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, oh yeah. Wow. Apparently Peter Jackson wants to use like that same technology he used for They Shall Not Grow Old in that Beatles documentary he's doing for Disney. Um, I'm excited to see movies. that. I, I loved, loved, loved They Shall Not Grow Old. One of my oh, favorite documentaries in the last few years. It's very good. My only concern is I'm worried that he'll make Meet the Feebles look too good because I feel like this film really benefits by this just this grimy, dingy, filthy look that it has. Like, oh, absolutely. I agree. To quote Mystery yeah. Science Theater 3000, every frame looks like someone's last known photograph. <laughs> <laughs> Probably my like favorite line for that entire show. Like the heavy grain. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Or like, how I did, uh, when, yeah. how, how do you watch it for this podcast? Because it's streaming on Tubi right now. I watched it on YouTube. I did too. It, it said it was a 720 rip, but it looks like at most 480p. It looked. Um, yeah, the Tubi rip is a very clearly sourced from a videotape. Like, there's even like... <laughs> and with the YouTube one, like, it looks like yeah. a VHS master. It looks like a... Yeah, uh, it, it does, it doesn't it? It adds to it. It adds to it. Adds to it, but also considering how some shots have really busy background imagery, it kind of makes some things hard to make out. Uh, I yeah. do agree. Like yeah, that's true. Like the crowd, or I don't even know what it says on Heidi's suicide note on the mirror at the end of it. So you know, she were, like, I didn't even know she wrote a suicide note because I was just like, okay, there's a lot going on here. There's a yeah, lot. she does like the old <laughs> yeah. lipstick on the mirror routine. Oh, oh no. What, what, Although I would agree that this actually would kind of benefit from an HD remaster, but not like a full like overhaul. Something like Evil Dead 2 where it keeps the grain, but you can just see more of the picture. I, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, Peter Jackson's always in his late, he hasn't gone as so far as Zemeckis as to be like new technology obsessed. Like remember Zemeckis' mocap phase? Oh, or, you know, right. George, or you know, George Lucas with like, adding, like, CGI doodads everywhere, but... Oh, uh, yeah. I'm kind of surprised that shit didn't happen to the Indiana Jones movies, to be honest. I'm thankful, well, but I'm surprised. Funny thing is, is that after um, the E.T. remaster, um, remember that South Park episode, Free Hat? Oh, God, how could I forget? Well, apparently, like, 
say what you will about South Park, and there definitely is a lot to say in regards to how it is, how it did, like, you know, negatively impact a lot of attitudes in the... Yes and no. Yeah, I mean... Discussion for another day. Look. I don't... Yeah, it, it is a discussion for... But that's not the point. But the point that I'm trying to make here is... Fuck, what is my point? Oh, yeah. So... Steven Spielberg apparently watched the Free Hat episode and then completely realized that he was going about the, it all wrong. I am not entirely sure how true that is, but that's what I've heard. I mean, George Clooney was a fan of the show because he saw that uh, Spirit of Christmas uh, tape right, that was going around Hollywood and they got him to be a guest star. But my favorite part of that story is the guest role he played was just making barking noises for a dog. Oh, yes. <laughs> made big deals of it in the ads and that's all you get. It's so weird watching early South Park and seeing, like, celebrity guest voices when they really don't do that anymore. Like, when's the last time they had, like, a celebrity guest? Was it, was it fucking oh, PewDiePie? Simpsons? Was it fucking PewDiePie that was the last guest voice of South Park? I'm, wait, he was in South Park? When, when, yeah. when did this happen? It was in, like, one of the later seasons. I think the first season where they started doing card continuity. And this was, like, before, like, the... The everyone just completely turned on PewDiePie. You know, one too many racisms that PewDiePie did. Argues <laughs> less the racism, more the cavalierness of it. Like he didn't even see see that what he was saying had consequences. You know, you know, heated gamer moment. Isn't that what he used? Oh God. <laughs> we live in a society. <laughs> speaking of speaking, of which and bringing it back on topic. Uh, never mind. I this is gonna kind of piss you off, Dolan. But uh, this reminds me of some of Todd Phillips' early stuff. Like, uh, that G.G. Allen documentary he made, the frat house stuff where he did for HBO that never went to air. That- I, I, I haven't watched much of Todd Phillips. Really. I'm indifferent to Todd Phillips. Like I get that. I mean, I like Joker, Joker, but I'll admit, I'll agree with you that it is pretty shallow. Yeah, yeah. That, that I, was the movie that, once you've kind of seen it, you've seen it. You don't really need to see it multiple times to get it. It's not Memento or something. I, I, I feel bad that I keep derailing things off topic. But I feel like... Dude, off topic might as well be the name of this podcast, so don't feel too bad. <laughs> the thing about Joker is that I feel like it would have been a lot better if it was, like, a jokester movie. You know, like... Uh, you R- know, like you a know, rip-off jo- of the Joker? No, jokester. Like, the third dimension Joker that's a good guy, you know, where the Justice League are the Justice Lords. <laughs> All right. So it would be, like, you know, stuff <laughs> that, like, I don't know, taxi driver... King of Comedy. Scar- Scarface influence, but, you know, it, Batman would be running around, but he'd be, like, you know, more corrupt and, like, just brutalizing criminals, and there'd be, like, a whole debate in the press about how, um, how, like, ethical the Batman is and why aren't the cops doing anything about it, and maybe even have, like, the inf- implication that the Gotham City Police Department know who the Batman is, but are just letting Bruce Wayne get away with it because he's rich, and then... You know, Joker ends up like stumbling into crime, and so it's you know, you know, anti-hero Joker versus like corrupted Batman. Oh, I think you like the Batman White Knight comics. That's very much the case. Like Joker, that's a situation where uh, Joker is declared legally sane and decides to start a criminal campaign against Batman. It's got great art too. Sean Gordon yeah, Murphy really a, knows that, his stuff. That's a good series. I have so many comics that I've got in my archives. That I need to catch up on. I last year's free comic book day, I got like the first volume of Howard the Duck in trade paperback, and I've also got trade nice. paperbacks 
of Next Wave, Afterlife with Archie, um, Gwenpool. Uh, I just I got think... a whole omnibus of the Silver Age Adam Strange stuff that I can't wait to get into because I've loved those comics since I was in high school. I think that I've got a pulp sci-fi ephemera. Ah, that's cool. I think I've got a trade paperback of Squirrel Girl that I've been meaning to read, and also uh, the third volume of the Gem and the Holograms comics, which are actually really good. If you haven't, I'm hoping them. they're better than the Blumhouse movie. That's all I'm saying. Oh, they're absolutely yeah. better than the Blumhouse movie because the the comics are like made by someone who actually watched the series. And they don't seem like they don't have contempt for their audience. Oh yeah, it it's actually really good. What what Going would back. you say your favorite uh, sequence of this film is? Favorite Probably the Vietnam stuff, honestly. Oh, same, definitely. That's the Vietnam that's stuff is really fun. I I'm Shot not like sure if I like a jacket. I've I'm not sure if I have like a favorite sequence, more like favorite individual moments, but the. The Frogs of War sequence, which I guess is what it's unofficially titled, because if you don't know, Peter Jackson fraudulently got the funds to film that sequence by claiming it was a separate short film. Oh my god! Wow. Wow. Um, um, there's, like, so many, like, the, the Russian roulette sequence that parodies the deer hunter. Oh yeah. And, and also, <laughs> the Vietnamese soldiers, like, debating, like... You know, gray areas of socialism dogma around we the. Did not expect the words bourgeoisie to be used in this. All that's all I'll say. <laughs> I mean, I was pleasantly surprised, but I didn't expect it. What do you think? Do you think that private enterprise is okay at a village level as long as it's overseen by the state? <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Honestly, I remember I was just watching for the first five minutes. There's already puppets screwing and forming double indemnity schemes from the first five minutes. Really, doesn't hold it, back. It's, it's a, it's pretty vile. It's a, it's a vile film. Oh, it's, it's fucking disgusting. I've, I, once they get to the part where Harry gets that ailment, it's like that's where it goes full bad taste. <laughs> what, yeah. what is the most disgusting part of this movie? The ending, when with Harry vomiting all over the place and uh, oh. Heidi going all commando. Yes, yes, the vomit was pretty disgusting. I, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily Heidi is super grossed out, gro grossing out as the. He looks like honestly, a Ralph Bakshi drawing. Honestly, I find the younger, more slim Heidi. Like people, they the movie makes a big show about like how obese Heidi supposedly is, but but everything looks perfectly proportioned honestly honestly when it gets the flashbacks like the younger slimmer heidi then her head looks like too big for the rest of her body it's weird i mean they also or it's clear that these were people in suits not like actual puppets like in the muppet stuff oh yeah, yeah like there's some wide shots of like or of heidi running or some other character and there's where it's clear that like, they put in this i'm not dissing the special effects by the way i'm just saying that it's definitely there's some things that keep it separated from being like a perfect parody of sorts well, even well, even the Muppets have like characters that are just people in suits. You know, Sweetums. Uh, if you want to go into Sesame Street, there's Big Bird. You know, Sog. Stuffalo gets one. Cheaper to do suits rather than like actual puppets. And the suits are kind of cool, though. Yeah, they are. It, it really worked. I think a joke that I made uh, while I was writing notes was these look like what if Ralph Steadman designed the Muppets? The guy who did oh the illustrations gosh. for Fear and Loathing. That's I love that, Ralph Steadman. That's also the thing. They like they look and move differently from like regular Muppets. Like they're a lot stiffer and less expressive, which makes them all the more off-putting to the eye. 
I think that's you know? partially intentional, though. Oh, like, um, it's the dark satire. I'm not yeah. saying I'm not saying that it doesn't work. I'm just making that observation. This is the know? darkest possible interpretation of the Muppets. But actually, I mean, but it's actually, probably worse. For its like low budget, the, some of the special effects and how they like pull off that puppetry motion is pretty impressive. Like, uh, like Sebastian, the director, I love how like he blinks and his eyebrows move up and down. That's actually really yeah. well done. The smoking was pretty impressive too. Oh, like, uh, also smoke. made me question: How do these things' organs work? <laughs> then I went to like a deep ra rabbit hole of thought, and it was just like, sinking in my chair, like that shot of Scatman Crothers in The Shining, like just looking horrified. <laughs> what do you? What do you? Yeah, like how? How do these things eat and breathe? How do these smoke? Things... The what else can they? What other horrors can their bodies? Accomplish? And also. And also they how they fuck, because it's like a weird obsession with having, like, large creatures fucking smaller creatures. Like, oh. you know, you've got, um, um, you know, Bletch the Walrus, um, having sex oh, with yeah. Samantha. It might be one of the most disgusting characters ever created. Its character name is literally Bletch. <laughs> oh, and also, and also, you know, the BDSM porno shoot with oh. the cockroach and the cow in bondage. Oh which, my gosh. Which okay. that, that How aware do you think Brian Henson was of this when they were making Happy Time Murders? Probably very. I was aware. thinking of the porn shop scene in that the whole time. Yeah, that, that's, yes. the, that's the thing. That that cow in bondage gave me a lot of Toonstruck flashbacks. Okay. Listen first the cat, I'm now convinced or what the created furry culture. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you ever played Toonstruck that I oh. mentioned? Toonstruck is not. this like great point and click adventure game from the nineties that what? No, it's the not LucasArts. It's in the oh. LucasArts style, but it's not LucasArts. It's got it's like a mixture of live action FMV and animation, and it's got Christopher Lloyd in it. And nice. It's very good. It's very good. It's on GOG. If uh, I will definitely write that down. I brought up Todd Phillips earlier because it reminds me of how like their early stuff does it. It's very different, but it also kind of outlines their pet trajectory like peter jackson some of his horror stuff shows up in lord of the rings like the weird angle angles the jump scares like there's some stuff that definitely carries over I like sam raimi's uh difference and stuff carrying over from evil dead to spider-man like there's stuff in spider-man 2 that plays out like a full-on horror flick i think the part where the doc arc surgery i watched it when i was a kid and my mom just walked in at the wrong time i mean she's like nope this is going off because she thought i was just stumbled upon like i don't know a texas chainsaw massacre sequel or something i Spider-Man 2 is a fantastic movie. I feel yeah. like I feel like um in regards to Peter Jackson, I feel like like the in-between point that you can mark between like classic gross-out era Peter Jackson and then like blockbuster Peter Jackson is probably the Frighteners. Yes, that's pretty much I mean perfect because it is pretty much the perfect middle point and point as a movie too. It's a big budget horror movie, movie but it's also it also got people like Michael J. Fox and Jeffrey Combs is in that too, right? From Reanimator. Yeah, Jeffrey Combs. One of his nice. one of my favorite performances of him. My body is a roadmap of pain. When he's like, <laughs> do you do you, uh, do you, what's your preferred version of the Frighteners? Like regular or, or director's cut? I haven't seen it yet. Really? I haven't seen the Frighteners. Oh my god! I've seen bits and pieces, is... but I've never seen the whole thing. Frighteners. What do you recommend? Awesome. I personally recommend the director's cut. I feel like it, it because it adds 
more scenes that give like deeper pathos to it. Okay. I'm sort of inconsistent on whether or not I like favor directors or theatrical cuts. Like for instance, Aliens. I think on go... a case by case basis, like the special edition of Close Man, Encounters yeah. is not the best version of that movie because I think there there should be that little bit of mystery at the end. And, like well, I don't think Spielberg going in the spaceship was a good idea. Going in the spaceship that was like forced upon him by the studio for the re-release. It didn't wasn't that just compiled of like extra footage they had laying around because they wanted to make a little more money off of it? Well, I think what happened with Close Encounters that the special effects weren't finished. And then Steven Spielberg pushed for a re-release to get the special effects finished, but then Columbia insisted on like an additional scene for like a greater draw. Interesting. I was gonna say there's situations where like the Green Lantern extended cut it where it literally just only adds one scene that does not affect or there's something like Blade Runner or Batman vs. Superman where it completely changes how it flows. Even if you still don't like the extended cut of BVS, there's at least at least flows better as a movie because you still don't get why they cut like stuff like establishing shots honestly i'd, I'd also put 1941 on that list because the theatrical cut of 1941 cut anyway because i only saw the theatrical i think the extended cuts on the blu-ray but the theatrical cut you know they cut down to like what two hours right and you know every it's just no breathing room uh, meanwhile the director's cut it's longer uh, which should be seem more excessive, but it makes it feel like more like an epic comedy in the vein of it's a mad, 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 mad world. With you know more. I think that's what they were going for, and I kind of I'm sad that that got shit on so much when it came out because I I admire what it was going for, even if I don't think it's entirely successful. I love that movie. I think I think it's hysterical. I think Used Cars is better still though, because that is like one of my favorite comedy scripts. Like if you're writing a comedy, writing a comedy, this is a go-to for how to make it as a good movie too. Like, well, it's well-structured, it's got good payoff, payoffs, it's got characters you're invested in. Still also has my favorite fake commercial in a movie, too. <laughs> which which one? Is the part where he blows out the car windows, he's like, these prices are too high. Bang. Too fucking high! <laughs> We're definitely talking about used cars sometime. We might actually have you on the show if you want. Oh, I'd be, I thought I'm having a blast so far. I'd be happy to come back, man. You guys should, can even be on my show if you want. You oh, absolutely. Have you guys talked about Tron yet? We have not talked about Tron yet, but I have a lot oh, of this shit is gonna to be say fun. about Tron. You know? Have you talked about uh, Song of the South? Oh, God. I am so sick of people asking me that fucking question. <laughs> because. I don't blame you. I feel like Song of the South Everyone else has said everything there is to say about that movie that I could reasonably say. I'm just largely disinterested in Son of the South. And I don't even feel like that a man, uh, you know, being, you know, white folks would really even have, like, you know, the insight to really dig in to Son of the South. Like, we've tried to, we be, like, we've done, like, you know, earnest discussions of, you know, the social issues that like carry into the behind the scenes of films and episodes like we did a right. far off place if you've ever seen that that I've never even heard of it honestly with... it's got reese witherspoon like a young reese witherspoon and it's about oh, these like nice. kids their parents are killed by poachers and they've got to cross the kalahari desert in africa and we like discussed like the history of like the original book and it's awesome and it's old is the original book anyway uh it's from the 1970s have been like Heart of Darkness era, like 1930s. I thought it would have been older, honestly. No, yeah. And I don't know a lot about this, so I could just be talking out of nowhere. It 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 was written by 
I believe his name is Lawrence Vanderpost, who's like a South African guy who who was who like painted himself as like an expert on the Kalahari Bushmen, but his expertise may have been dubious at best. Like the gods must be crazy or something like that. No, no, not nowhere to that. I don't. I, I wouldn't really know. Like, it. Oh, listen to the episode. It, I'm. Speak, I will definitely give it a listen. I really liked your uh, first days of Disney Plus one. That one was hilarious. Like, I couldn't believe how mad you got at Noel of all things. Like, some oh, forgettable um, Christmas comedy. Like, I just I was, like, yeah, it's bad. Just move on. Like, I was very. Wow. Mad. That was the worst. That's probably the worst film I have ever seen up to that point. I'll check it out. Well, we, if you like Mad M- Me, I also got pretty freaking annoyed at Pete's Dragon when we did that episode. Original oh. or the remake? Oh, I didn't see the remake yet. We'll get to the remake of it. Remake, I think, is on Netflix. It's honestly the best of these live-action remakes so far because it actually does something new with it and actually worthwhile. It's, yeah. it's also David Lowry directing, so... We can't do the remake quite yet because we have a rule that we don't discuss films until like five years have passed. That's fair. Hey, we've done some recent stuff. Like we, for our third episode, we talked about Under the Silver Light, and we're probably going to be doing I don't know Southland Tales in a few months. Yeah, Southland. I've been meaning to see that movie. It's on it movie right now. If you want, interesting. I'm kind of terrified to watch it because I just looked at the runtime and it's like over two hours. I'm like, jeez. Isn't I that like the shorter cut for Richard it, Kelly after I mean, it's over? I got some briefly back when I watched Domino, the Tony Scott one, because he wrote that. That movie is kind of messy, but I think it's intentionally messy and a kind of fuck everything. Let's burn it all down and like nihilism. Yeah, that that's the vibe I got with South and Tales. And there there are way too many. We'll, we'll we'll talk about it when we do the South and Tales. Yeah, that one's gonna be that's gonna be a wild discussion. Let me just say. Yeah. I okay for this film. I really liked. <laughs> I've never said this sentence before, but I really liked the mass shooting at the end. <laughs> <laughs> they apparently used live rounds because they couldn't get really. Blanks, which wow, is crazy. Sam Raimi did the same thing on the first Evil Dead when they were shooting like a plane of candy glass or something. Yeah, but you know they didn't have live a machine gun rounds. It was like what a shotgun or a regular pistol. It's been a long time since I've seen. The first Evil Dead. My, I mean, my jaw was on the floor during that climax. Like, and now, that would have just been maybe like fall over. Like, holy fucking shit! I think I knew about the climax before I saw the movie for the first time. Which, I mean, the trailer says don't give it away, but you see it in the trailer, and then also like one of the posters as like a big cartoon Heidi holding the machine gun. So. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that the image? I think that is the image they sold the movie on because, like, okay, this is insane that this is going to get butts in seats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like how bad taste has, you mentioned the The, the alien with the middle finger up? Yeah. Given the the finger. And they really went for it. They they really went for the, the yeah, shooting. Love, uh, yeah. love it or hate it, I respect the movie that it holds true to its convictions. Absolutely. But like, if it promises it's going to go all the way, it goes all the way. Yeah. It was. Love that. You know what I like about this movie? This movie is a funny, but it also takes, like, its characters and their, like, emotional struggles absolutely seriously. Like, I think that's how a lot of good parody works. Like, I mean, in Spaceballs, you still care about Lone Star, Bill Pullman, John Kennedy, all the rest. 
and the rest. Like, you still have to have a decent story and a general command of filmmaking language. It's like how it's like how Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles and Airplane are better movies than Scary Movie because exactly. I was about to say, Epic Movie. These movies don't even have structure or even characters. It's just references from stuff that's from the like. Not even stuff. Scary Movie wasn't even references or into like horror movies as a whole. It was just like stuff in the last three years. It was like Kevin Williamson post Scream stuff. I really appreciated the the flashbacks of these characters um, in this film. Yeah, like weren't they all in black and white? I remember one of them at least was the Heidi and Bletch flashback with black and white, and then I think I think the only other flashback was the Vietnam sequence, which we talked about. Which was shot like a little jacket because it has that exact same color palette. Yeah. Wyndham the Frog. Do you find him sympathetic or not? Because he did leave his buddy to die in Vietnam. Not really. I mean, he asked money for money for his sto- for his Vietnam stories, so he's not that sympathetic. Hey, it was a contribution. <laughs> I'm actually curious which characters you find sympathetic uh, and which ones you don't. I think Harry was the only one. He kind of sounds like Daniel Radcliffe too, doesn't he? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> Harry? Yeah. It, it's, it's funny because Harry seems to be like the Kermit the Frog analog in all this, except he's not like producing the show. I guess it operates on like Muppets Tonight rules where Kermit's producing the show, but the host is Clifford. You guys seen Muppets Tonight? No, I have. I think the only bit of it I've seen is the parody of, stu- of Once in a Lifetime that they did. Oh, my God. It if makes you... me happy every time I see it. That's just, I'm also a big Muppets Talking Heads t- fan. Muppets Tonight is crazy yeah, underrated. Like, it's not a perfect show, mainly because there's a bit of disconnect between the variety show format of the original Muppets show and then, like, the TGIF sitcoms it was trying to fit in with. But when it was going, it was going. Like, the Sandra Bullock episode is one of the funniest episodes of TV I've ever seen. That's the one where there's, like, a, a mad bomber puts a bomb in the studio, so if the ratings dip below 30... Like the tick? Uh, he says to me, "Mad bomber bombs at midnight." That's still probably one of the. That's one of the funniest cartoons I've ever seen. Just that one episode of just whenever he's on screen, and he's like down with big government. Did you watch the Amazon Prime Tick show? Shit. Did you watch the Amazon Prime Tick show? That was I really good. Yet. I feel so bad. I'm so mad they canceled it. Right. How come every ver- TV version of the Tick has gotten a premature end? I think. So, like, the- it's a shame because it so was blatantly and transparently was canceled because Amazon didn't want it to overshadow the boys. I mean, I like the boys a lot. I haven't seen it yet. I heard it's good. I've seen it's the first fantastic. few episodes. It is pretty good. It's like something like Deadpool, but if it actually does push it, because Deadpool is a very light R. This, this goes all the way. Gags that think- I'm not even sure I can describe on mic. <laughs> I mean, we're discussing a movie in which a guy gets his head shoved up his ass. There's a puppet dying of AIDS. You know, a heroin addicted <laughs> puppet. Puppet Vietnam flashback. Puppet. Don't they kill one mask. of the press guys by flushing him down the toilet and like you see no, his nope uh, rainbow come up? They rip his wings off and then flush him down the toilet. And this is after. <laughs> oh we my gosh! That yeah. Same. Um. Hey, forget why that's violent. That's just cruel. I mean, that fucking fly deserved it. I f- he's probably my least favorite character in that movie, which is saying something when one of your characters is a literal rapist. <laughs> There's oh, also a lot of God, diarrhea, I about that part. vomit. I just watched it last night. Part of I just kind of remember it as kind of a big fever dream of 
Wow. Yeah, it's this movie. This movie is not for the weak of stomach. I'll say this right God. now. Oh no, no. What's oh, funny is you mentioned that uh, the, or the Harry character remind you of uh, Kermit. I was thinking of Walter from the re- the Disney reboot with uh, Jason Segel. I'm like, yeah, wait a minute. yeah. Mm-hmm. They like get an idea, guys. You know what's weird about that Jason Segel Muppet movie? It is so Ew. blatantly self-insert fanfic on Segel's part. Like it's more of a vanity project than the one that was than the one where he literally fucks Karen, Cameron Diaz. <laughs> oh God! Wait, didn't Frank Oz write a, a Muppet script that that was going to be the reboot, and then they got Jason Segel to do it instead? Well, I think both were like pitched around the same time. I believe at one point Disney was going to go with Frank Oz's pitch over um, Jason Segel's, but. They w- were nervous about the budget. They felt, felt it was too high. And Frank Oz was like, you know how much it costs to do something so ch- to make something look cheap? So they decided to go with, like, Jason Siegel's movie. I think it was because of Forgetting Sarah Marshall, too. That I remember that was big at the time. That was, like, Jason Siegel's, that movie, pitching that script, that was, like, Jason Siegel's first big, like, you know, I made it move after forgetting Freaks. Sarah Marshall hit it big because pretty much he got the Jim Henson company to work with him for like the Dracula puppet musical sequence at the end. And then he was like asking him, Hey, what Which did you guys awesome. do with the Muppets? And they were like, Oh, we don't own the Muppets anymore. They're with Disney. And so he, Jason Siegel went to Disney. He's like, Hey, you guys own the Muppets. I've got an idea for a Muppet movie. I like the 2011 one, but I haven't seen it since it first came out. I like Jason Siegel. Me too. I haven't seen I him re- in anything since what? 2013. Have you seen Freaks and Geeks? I have not yet, actually. I'm surprised. It's, it's a great show. It's it's I, honestly it's funny how much of a talent shows. pool that turned out to be because we. Oh, absolutely, and it's only one season. Yeah. I canceled prematurely, or was it structured like a miniseries? Because I've never been able to tell. Um, I think it was canceled prematurely, but it it works as just one season. I'll I'll give it a look one of these days. I mean, considering how we're in quarantine, I've still got a ton of stuff to catch up on. Like, I started watching the Lone Wolf and Cub movies recently. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, been, I've been watching so many movies. I haven't, I've, I've been too, I haven't had time to like watch like film stuff because a lot of my film school education right now revolves around watching movies for classes. And then studies? It, yeah, um, no, no, I've got like multiple film watching classes. I've got Paranoid Style in American Cinema. I've got Film and Lit. Nice. Uh, we can't do any like in... Because my film school is, like, very production-oriented, but, you know, we can't do any, like, class production um, while we're stuck at home. So, for my production class, our teacher, Chris Newman, who... you Have you guys heard of Chris Newman? I don't think so. Sound mixer, Academy Award winner, worked on Amadeus, uh, The Godfather. Nice! That is amazing. Yeah, it it's is. funny, the- uh, my screenwriting professor actually worked on uh, the Tales from the Dark Side show that George Romero put together. Oh, that's cool. General thoughts on the movie? Um, Probably the most favorite. I'm in the middle. Chandler seems to be at the meh. Yeah, I'm very meh. You weren't a big fan of this? I mean, I found it entertaining, but I wouldn't watch it again. I I get that. Or I, I wouldn't have watched it if I didn't have to watch it for the podcast. I think this is one of my favorite movies because it is just... It is remarkably melancholy for a movie that has such dark humor. Like, 
you genuinely and insane humor too. Like it takes some big swings at some points. Yeah, he has a very I manic tone. It. I give a, I give it a lot of respect. I'm just not that big of a fan. Like of a it. lot of the Heidi stuff yeah. is like genuinely heartbreaking. Like when she gets shoved, yeah, butches off at the end, and she's just like hallucinating everybody laughing at her, and it is just soul destroying. Oh, uh, that's sad. The Vietnam flashback, I I loved though. That whole sequence yeah. was really great. Um, what other, I appreciate the I character the frog, development. I love that it's called the Frogs of War because I actually get the reference. <laughs> I it's an old uh, Christopher Walken movie from the eighties. Ch- check out the poster for that. That is a badass poster. I also love how like defined all of these uh, characters are. Absolutely, you know, like yeah. they all have like clear person personalities. The show. I'm curious who, who your like favorite characters are in this movie. Probably Harry. Harry? Yeah, yeah, he seems the most likable. I was most sympathetic just because he's spent so much of the runtime violently ill. <laughs> I guess so you kind of have to feel bad for him. I think well, who who was the um the the new guy? A uh, Robert. Robert. I like That's the I one like I him. thought sounded like Daniel Radcliffe. Like, yeah, I liked him. Sound like this little timid, oh, I had to disturb anyone. That yeah, kind of I, he was. He, I liked him the most. Well, I mean, he's probably one of the more innocent, except when you know, he, probably one of the only decent ones too. I yeah. mean, I mean, how he treats like, Bletch is a straight up mobster. I mean, who? Bletch, no Bletch. Yeah, I like the name. <laughs> Trevor is also really fucking sucks. I, you know, he's just an, another slimy character. Do you want to discuss? They're all like, slimy. Honestly, I think the only real weak part of this movie is, like, Bletch and Trevor's and, I guess, the big bulldog subplot with, like, the the drug dealing, you know, where they're, like, out on the golf course and then they, like, door Mr. Big's hideout. Right. I think that doesn't work for me is because it does such a good set, I mean, job setting up the reality within, like, the stage production is that whenever it cuts to, like, the outdoor stuff, like them playing golf, it feels like such a bizarre shift. Oh, I... Yeah, yeah. I... Like, it breaks the reality. I agree. Like, I wish they had... It's sort of like, you know, when the Muppet show would occasionally do, like... A, like, when remember that episode where the Muppet Theater was being fumigated and they had to do the show at, like, an abandoned train station? It's sort of like that. I vaguely remember it. I've been... It's on my season three box set. Isn't Alice Cooper a guest star on one of the episodes? Yeah, that is also a season three. <laughs> I watched that episode. That... That's funny. That and uh, Guitar Hero were my introduction to Alice Cooper. Guitar Hero is sadly un- responsible for a lot of my taste in music. Uh, I'm me too. so mad that Guitar Hero was awesome. I'm uh, like Lego Rock Band was uh, what introduced me to Iggy Pop and the Police. My oh wow, we had uh, like Guitar Hero three for the Wii. You know, Legends of Rock. That was Same. like the first Guitar Hero on, on the Wii, which was like I remember is trying so hard to play Barracuda and I failed every single time. That was the first one I had. Also the. Uh one for the Wii. My little brother be like the whole campaign of Guitar Hero, but he would freaking cheat because we had like an armchair with like hand railings. So what he would do is that he would rest the guitar on like the handrail and then he would like strum the bar with like one hand and then play the various keys, the, the buttons that you press like a piano. Oh, it's diabolical. <laughs> I mean, I respect it. But it's still diabolical. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I could even get past "Hit Me with Your Best Shot." Oh, it's a song I would have loved to play on one of these. "Treat Me Right." That is a badass song. 
with, with you from from the beginning of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Uh, no, uh, treat, treat Me Right by uh, Pat Benatar. Ah. It was used in um, Officer and a Gentleman, the Richard Gere movie. Oh, okay. Um, what other? Yeah. You guys seen anything good recently? I watched uh, Solaris. Tarkovsky one. Yes. Nice. It was. It was. It was great. I need to watch it again just to like fully, <laughs> just to understand what was going it's on. A gorgeous movie. It's a oh yeah. And two like everything. Like, he does I really is love so that gorgeous. slow zoom out at the end, and it really gives you a good sense of space and time. What the, actually, the production design was amazing too. Yeah, I remember. Uh, he, I mean, it came from the fact that Tarkovsky was not a fan of 2001 because he thought it looked too clean. And you know, like, if these were real, they would look like I don't know truck stops or something, like something grimy and down to earth. That makes sense. So, it reminds me of a was a quote from Fellini or Truffaut. It's like the best way to criticize a movie is to make it in our movie response. Paraphrasing here, but that's the general point of the art. The quote. I'm trying to. Th- Think what is what do you guys? If I could get back to Meet the Feebles, what is your guys' favorite subplot of that movie? Honestly, I kind of like the blood stuff, but I or Harry getting sick is still probably the funny. It's the it goes to so many gross directions. I like the drug addiction. Mm. Oh God! Like because that that um, encompasses the Vietnam flashback, then like the throwing the knives at the um. <laughs> that that was that was funny. That meant. There's got some good lighting too in For some yeah. reason like really dark and atmosphere. For some reason I really liked like just all of the different like stage performances in the chaos era. And I'm not sure if it's my favorite, but I do think it's like worth mentioning because a lot of the musical numbers that they wrote for this movie are genuinely very good songs. And by very the way, catchy, yeah. how did memorable. how did we go this long without talking about the sodomy song? Don't worry if you feel ashamed, it's been around for years. Thousands more than can be named are interested in reels. Don't worry about hell, no harm will come to your soul. We're not all Pentecostal, but everybody's got an asshole. Oh my oh god. I almost forgot about like I wanted I made a mail about definitely talk about the sodomy song, like, and then it just <laughs> slipped my mind because we went into so many other topics. It reminded me of the um uh, the AIDS song from uh, uh, Team America, World Police. Yeah. I Rent parody? When I was in yeah. high school, I got a, a huge kick of that song, you know? I'm, and I mean, it is, it, it's weird because it actually is genuinely well done. Like, it's, it's not like, you know, it's no Sondheim, but it's well constructed. And some of the rhymes... I think are, that's the secret between a lot of good uh, comedy music. Is that you have to be a good musician as well as a good stand-up comic, which are both very, very hard skills to master. It's, and I mean, some of the rhymes... The Lonely Island songs are funny, but they're also really catchy. Like, I still got Boombox stuck in my head from, like, ninth grade. But some of the rhymes <laughs> in the Sodomy song are genuinely great. Like, like we're not all Pentecostal, but everybody's got an asshole. Ugh. <laughs> 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 uh. That was one of the part. I think that was the moment where my just jaw hit the floor. I'm like, oh, they went there. So join, so join me as I sing of an activity that's fun. Open up your ear and try it front to bum 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 bum. Actually, this is something you brought up earlier. Hate to the earlier discussion, but you mentioned you won't do Song of the South on it because it's been done to death. That's why we're not, not going to do stuff I, like the rumor troll. I'm too. not saying I won't do Song of the South. I'm saying that 
it would have to require like Unlikely. someone with like a really good insight into it wanting to do it. I you know? actually remember watching that at my school. They showed it to us at school. Really? I yeah, I'm from the like the deep south. Oh, I'm dying. I'm dying to hear this. Oh, that no, that's all. Like we just watched it, and it was like n- no big deal because we were so young, and it was like you know, just, just, it was just put put in there with uh, like the Lion King and the uh, Aladdin. And whatever. Oh, this is Disney. This should be fun. I've yeah, seen, yeah. Like the animated segments of that movie. I've seen it. It's. I don't think it's as horrible as everyone says it is. Most of it's just boring, honestly. Yeah, my honestly, grandmother actually has like a, another copy, also. But um, no, yeah, nice. I, I've seen it a few times. My grandfather, I think, actually bought a bootleg VHS of it, but he said it was boring. Yeah, it's not like a great film overall, but um, its, it's greatest just... contribution to the culture as a whole is Splash Mountain, which is genuinely one of yeah. the greatest Disney yeah, that, ever. That made. might be my favorite Disneyland ride, honestly. Oh, it's like the magnum opus of Disney rides because. It only could have been made at that point in time under a very specific set of circumstances. Like, there was no way they would have been able to get all those animatronics for the finale if it wasn't for the fact that American, America Sings was being shut down and they had all these, like, animatronics, like, reskin and reuse. Which is actually common practice with Disney. Like, like a lot of the droids I, in the queue that. for Star Tours, those are just America Sings animatronics, but with, you know, like, their outer skin removed. Wow. I didn't even know that. Thanks for the insight. Yeah. It reminds me of what you're saying is you didn't want to cover things if you didn't have any insight. That's entirely why I wanted to cover. I don't want to do a lot of so bad it's good stuff because it feels like it's too easy punching bags. But I will definitely want to talk about like Neil Breen, especially as a Las Vegas native, because I've seen these locations. Like I've had friends who grew up there and like it feels like such a weird head trip. Looking back at that. I would love to visit Las Vegas someday, you know. Get some gambling it's... in. See Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, I mean, Cirque du Soleil is impressive. What? The thing is, uh, I'll respect Todd Phillips just for one line he had in War Dogs was, I can't stay here long. Vegas is a two-day t- perfect summary of what it's like. <laughs> you drink, you gamble, and you get the hell out of there as soon as possible. There is almost nothing beyond the Strip. It's vast miles of desert and a few suburban developments. Nothing exciting. I've... I would like to see that Eminem 3D movie they've got at the Eminem store. I lost my M in Vegas. It's, uh, it's interesting. Although it's been a long time, I went to that at some point. I think it was like six. I, I've. Do you do you go to the, the strip? Is that like a, uh, frequent place for locals? Not really. Not as much as you'd expect, at least. Like, my dad went there a lot for work reasons because he was that's where the courthouse was and he was a, an attorney, but that was about it. I assume it's like... And I went there whenever we had family in town and they wanted to see the strips, so... I assume it's like Times Square where locals hate it because, you know, it's so crowded with tourists. Like, I would only... Re- exactly. Like, I go to college up in New York City and I'm not sure if I necessarily qualify as a local because... My own standard of it is that as soon as you start regularly complaining about the subway, that's when you're a local. <laughs> it's fair. But but I'm not sure if that's a- the actual qualifications. But, you know, I would only – I only ever really go to Times Square if – Keep your own truth in this situation, if I guess. You, if I'm, like, seeing, like, a, a, a show, you know, you know, like some theater. I'm glad you chose the this movie to talk about for uh, the first our first foray into Peter Jackson because I want. I mean, it's probably the most obscure thing he's done outside of um, I think Heavenly Creatures or that uh, documentary he did. 
Not that they shall not grow old, a different one about a silent film. That, that was like a fake documentary, though, right? Think? Cotton Silver, that was the title. Yeah, that, that was like a mockumentary. Like, the guy wasn't real. Oh. I mean, I haven't seen it, so I don't know that much. Um, I'm trying... I've, I didn't realize how hard Meet the Feeble that the movie would be to talk about until, like, just now. Like, it... I was about to say, because I think it, I mean, it's one of those things where you can talk about an individual moments and gawk at it for a while, but as a whole, you can just sum it up in, like, five minutes. Um, it... Yeah. Because it is so loosely connected. Just, like, moment in time, behind the scenes. I think AV Club described it as, like, the Muppet Show, but on cocaine and hard liquor. <laughs> that sounds about right. Um, And, like, set at a gas station. Honestly, I would really love like a really bad gas station, like where the neon lights aren't working, and someone probably got shivved in the alleyway behind it. It's very grimy. See, yeah. I'm from New Jersey, so I'm used to like having gas stations where you don't actually pump yourself. Like most of our gas stations are Wawa's, and Wawa's are nice. And you know, oh, nice. I haven't been to there since like 2015. It's, and you know, New Jersey, um, it's. New Jersey, it's like state law that you can't pump your own gas. They have like attendants do it for you. Ah. Interesting. It's funny with the quarantine situation. Las Vegas still has the drive-in open. Driving movie theater. Oh, nice. Actually, I almost want to go. Right. If I wasn't like strictly adhering to this. Actually, right nearby me. Um, I don't think it's open yet. Open because of quarantine, but not too far away from me. Like a couple towns over, I think. Like. 15 miles, 20 miles at most, is um, the only drive-in movie theater left in New Jersey. Wow. Yeah. I've never been to a drive-in. It's called the Del C- really? C- Drive-In. It's great. I went there last year with my grandfather. We saw, they do like double, they've got two separate screens. They've got like uh, like um, PG-13 adult action ju- double feature. And then they've got like a family double feature. So, so, but the night we went, they were having like the car show, a car show there. And then afterwards on the, when they do the car show there, they show before like the regular double feature on the adult screen, they show like a car movie that people vote for. And that year it was Smokey and the Bandit. Nice. Which my grandfather and I love Smokey and the Bandit. That was great seeing it. Does, does your I would have loved to see Grindhouse on a double at a drive-in. Does, that would be amazing. Does your drive-in? I I don't think my drive-in theater plays like classic movies really. So, who? That's just current releases. I saw Fury Road there actually in uh, Kingsman. That's that's awesome. Does your drive-in theater? Do they I have like saw Krampus there and uh, someone left like a used condom by the parking lot and I was just like, of course, being a fifteen-year-old, I was just snickering about it the whole time. Does your drive-in movie that's theater? Do you have like the speaker that you got to put up on the windows, or you just have like a radio station to tune oh, into? We just tune. It's just a radio station, actually. We just tune into one number, and it just plays through our car radio. That's that's how it is for us too. I was gonna say that seems more convenient too. Yeah, I'm not sure about like the sound quality though. Ours seemed more like stereo than like surround. But you know, what are you gonna do? You pay for the experience, not necessarily for. Exactly. Exactly. We. I haven't gone in years, but I want to go back so bad. Yeah. Um. Why did movie theaters even open up after this? I hope they do. I hope so. I'm worried about AMC because I was about to say because I read that they're possibly filing Chapter Eleven because of this. Oh wow. Yeah. I. Not only do I have um, not only am I I'm upset with this because not only am I like using that AMC Stubbs A list where you get like three free movies every week. 
But also, there's an AMC, like, a couple of, of, like, I don't know, 10 blocks from my dorm in New York City that has a bar. So oftentimes, if it's, like, Friday night, I've got nothing to do. And, like, none of my um, lotteries for Broadway shows pan out or, like, off-Broadway shows pan out. I'll just go see a movie at that theater and, you know, get myself, like, a drink at the bar, like a blue cocktail. Nice. I saw I saw Sonic with a blue cocktail. No, sorry, <laughs> not a blue cocktail. No, it was a watermelon cocktail that was made to tie into Birds of Prey, which unfortunately I have not oh, nice. seen yet. Like I really should get on that. Oh, oh, that was fun. I think Ewan McGregor with yeah. Black Mask might be my new favorite villain performance in a comic book movie. Oh, who's having a good time? You are. I I I just so dialed in in every second he's so much fun to watch even though he's a complete scumbag birds of prey looks exactly my shit like I th- it looks like the warriors if you combine it with schumacher batman i think the best way i can describe i it. think my friend described like the trailer as it looks like if who's that girl was also john wick did that is that apt that's fair that's totally fair i was gonna compare it to something like true romance or again the ending is straight up the warriors yeah like yeah. because they basically fight in coney island I'm just And like I go Han Cold, unlike the DC movies. Like I like Shazam and Wonder Woman. Wasn't too big into Aquaman. Didn't see Man of Steel or Justice League. And I only saw Batman v Superman just for the riff tracks that I bought of it. I have any guests on that, like they sometimes do, or is it just uh, the usual MST3K guys? Um, the Batman v Superman riff tracks. They. Because of, like, the notoriety of Batman v Superman, they did, like, a special version where pretty much they cycled through, like, all of their different, like, uh, like, guest people. So, like, at the beginning and the end, it was, you know, Mike, Kevin, and Bill. And then it would cycle through nice. and it would go to, um, uh, you know, uh, what's it, Mary Jo Peel and Bridget Nelson. Nice. And then it would go to uh, Trace Beaulieu and Frank Conniff. And then I think it was Janet Varney and whoever else, which did you know the voice of Cor- Did anyone from the new run or like Jonah Ray or Patton Oswald or nah? I don't. This is before that. I, I want to look this up actually. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, did you know that Jet? By the way, did you know that the voice of Cora did Riff Traxes? I did not. From a. I also didn't know Rami Malik was on that show. Riff Tracks? Or no, Cora. Not Riff Tracks, uh, Legend of Cora. Yeah, I haven't gotten to Legend of Cora yet. Right now. We're at home, I, my f- okay. I'm confused because I thought you meant that. I saw like a news article about that the other day, and my, my brain is a mess. Oh yeah, here it is. It's it's then it's Mike, Kevin, and Bill at the very end, and then Janet Var- uh, the people I mentioned, Janet Varney and Nicole Stratton, and then Matthew Elliott and Ian Potter, and then Connor Lestoka and Sean Thomason, ah. who are like writers and producers for Rift Tracks. This is like uh, was like a big lineup. Like first one, yeah. But I only like watched it through HBO, and now it's not on HBO anymore. So now the riff I bought is pretty much useless, and I'm not necessarily certain if I want to buy the movie just for the riff because I have like a policy that I don't really um buy Blu-rays unless it's like buy home media unless it's for films I definitely want to really watch like. again multiple times. Like sometimes I'll fudge it. Like I'm a VHS tape collector, and I got like. A Same. VHS. Nice. I got a copy of Death Race 2000 that was like the cost of an iTunes single. I remember I used to raid uh, Goodwill because they had them for cheap. Oh, they still have them for cheap. 
Um, I found a. You guys know everything is terrible. Yeah, I know everything is terrible. I love everything is terrible. Yeah, I found. Funny thing is, I found a copy of Jerry Maguire there, and uh, I was. T- I'm so tempted to send it to them to make it part of the Jerry Pyramid. Ah, uh, nice. I have a copy of. Have you guys uh, heard about that or no? No, I have not. A New Hope on VHS. So the Jerry Pyramid is a project where they did. Where the guys who run it notice this thing where they, whenever they go to Goodwills, there's three tapes that would they would always find: Independence Day, Titanic, and Jerry Maguire. So they just started to start collecting them, and uh, eventually they amassed so many that they started opening up a video store for them where you couldn't rent it; you could just look at the collection. They even made like fake training videos and everything. But here's the real kicker. They decided to get like amass an entire collection just to make a pyramid out of. Like they got contractors to help build, design it and stuff. Wow. The last fourteen thousand tapes and counting is last time I checked. Um, I've I actually did find a VHS of t- Titanic at the Goodwill, like a widescreen, like double VHS. Too. I didn't buy it, but I saw oh, it. I bought it. I love Titanic. Mixed on it, I think James Cameron's made better movies. I I saw Titanic. I, was, I actually saw that like my first year of um school where they do like a special week for freshmen of like fun stuff um and oh. they do like screenings of movies at the SVA theater um which is my nice. my school the school of visual arts in New York City I think I may have mentioned that before but if I didn't um and one of them was a 35 millimeter print of Titanic oh you're so lucky they don't even show ours on film here, right here I think it's just DVD rips uh, like whenever they like they showed a 4K restoration of uh, Charlie Chaplin's The Kid, um, they do like, like that's the most they'll do. They mostly do. They don't really do a lot of like 35 millimeter screens of classic films, only like for special occasions or what have you. Um, mostly they'll show like previews of new movies that have like the involvement of SVA alumni because you know there is like a visual computer arts department and you know so a lot of special effects work, but. When they do do, like, older stuff, it's usually really good. Like, sophomore year, uh, they did a 35-millimeter print of the SpongeBob SquarePants movie, followed by a Q&A oh, with nice. one of the film writers. That's the first Derek movie I've ever seen in the theater, honestly. That was the f- My dad told me it's Shrek, but that was the first one I saw, remember, like, remember. That was the first, first that was the first. First one I saw was uh, Finding Nemo. Sponge, nice. SpongeBob movie was the sure. first movie my little brother saw in a movie theater. And then. Aww. And then the first movie I saw in a movie theater was Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius. It was apparently supposed to be Monsters, Inc., but the theater gave us the wrong tickets. I forgot the movie came before the cartoon, honestly. Well, that's the weird thing, because the movie started out as a pilot for the cartoon, but then Nick was so impressed with the CG animation, because that was still novelty at the time, they decided to upgrade the theatrical. Sort of like what happened with Star Wars The Clone Wars, and that very nearly catastrophically backfired on them. Yeah, I was going to say, the Clone War, the value of, of uh, quality between uh, the Clone Wars movie and the actual cartoon is so vast that it's almost incomparable. I, I really need to get into Clone Wars. Like, that's one of my major blind spots. I watched it when I was a kid, but I haven't watched any of the new stuff. I, haven't. I rewatched it a few summers ago um, in entirety. It hold up. It was, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. If you're a fan of Star Wars, then you'll like it. I like the Genny Tartakovsky one better, honestly. Yeah, I, I could see that. But I really want to watch Primal. I really want to watch Primal. Uh, that, I'm, I'm so, I really need to get around to that, too. Um, my mom and I... I think it's only like six episodes, right? Um, there's, there's more coming. 
Yes. Because the idea of Getty Tartakovsky going full Frank Frazetta, Boris Vallejo sounds exactly like my kind of thing. <laughs> my mom and I watched yeah. some of Samurai Jack together. That that one still holds nice. up. Nice. That, that was a great show. The thing is, uh, we're probably going to cover Sin City or one of the RoboCop sequels. And uh, that reminds me, one of the, my favorite things about Frank Miller early on was his uh, Ronin comic, which is basically Patient Zero for Samurai Jack. At the way Phantom of the Paradise was Patient Zero for uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. You... You mentioned um, a RoboCop two, like that before. I kind of like RoboCop Amanda two. I, I do too. Before Man and I came up with Lost in the Vault, one of our ideas for podcasts was at some point I got to get Amanda on this show because I feel like she would enjoy. Absolutely, I'd love to have her on. Um, um, for the Marrier and such. Uh, what was I saying? Oh yeah. So, um, I, um, one of our ideas was, and I, um a podcast called It's Actually Pretty Good, where we discuss movies that the general public largely hate, but that we personally thought was actually pretty good. So, like, um, you know, we do uh, RoboCop 2 or Little Nicky or the... Little Nicky have a Quentin Tarantino cameo yes. at some point. multiple times. Awesome. Oh, God, I remember he was a preacher. I'm like, it's still so bizarre to me. Lit I love Little Nicky. Um, like... I think that's because it's it's oddly ambitious for what it is. Like I think it's like the one of the few times that Sandler has worked with like that kind of a budget. You know what I'm saying? I think we've reached the point where we're probably gonna wrap the show up because we've been talking for at least an hour. You, yeah, you don't know the half of it. It's been good having you on, man. Yeah, Seriously, this has been a fun conversation. Thank this you. Is, you don't know the half of it. Amanda, if you want to be on, just give us a call. Amanda and I sometimes we talk. We edit a lot of the show down. I mean, not like a lot, a lot, but you know, like dead spaces and you know. Yeah, I'm probably like gonna do the same thing to this. We'll, we can end up talking like upwards of like, um, three hours sometimes. Dang. Like you. I think the longest we've talked is like an hour and 15 minutes. You listen. We try to keep it short and sweet, mostly because we're going to run in. We don't want to do too many dead spaces. You listen to our first days of Disney Plus episode. That ended up going for like two and a half hours. Right. Remember, I was like on a road trip at that time. Like that very much was helpful. Because I think there was a fight going on in the same car. I'm like, please get me out of this. I would love <laughs> to go on a cross-country road trip sometime. That's like one of oh, my yeah, life. Oh, yeah. If you and I do that together, we're playing the Fear and Loathing soundtrack. Oh, yeah. But it's final on Spotify, too, and it does one of those things that I usually don't like in movie soundtracks where they include dialogue, but I didn't mind it here. I love it when they do it for Inherent Vice because it fits the vibe so well. And they only use, like, the narration from, um, what's her name? Sort of leash. What, what? I've got a question. Do you think there are any movie soundtracks that are better than the actual movie? Talk about, like, scores or, like, soundtracks? Soundtracks, like, like collections of music tracks. Like previously released, you know, yeah. Oh, like pop music. Okay, there's plenty. I'm just struggling to think of one offhand. Probably bat the entire Schumacher Batman stuff because that. I mean, they had U2 and Kiss for a Rose, and Rose in that. So, um, I think uh, on my list it includes like the first Charlie's Angels movie has a better soundtrack than actual movie. Uh, the Brady. I mean, I don't doubt it. The Brady Bunch movie has a better soundtrack. Like good selection. Like. Brady Bunch movie soundtrack is still a bit of a mixed bag, but it does have some good, like, 90s grunge and, like, Davy Jones doing, like, a grunge version of Girl. Nice. And also, this is going to be very controversial, but 
Shrek the soundtrack is better than Shrek the movie. I am not a big fan of Shrek. That's fair. That's that's entirely fair. I, I like the second one a lot. What's funny is uh, I went looking through some Devo recently. I found one. They remade a version of a girl you want for a tank girl. But there's also a cover it by Soundgarden. <laughs> oh, that sounds like the weirdest thing to me. Speaking of Devo, you want to hear of a very deranged Disney product that that involved yeah. Devo? You ever heard of Devo 2.0? Nope. Okay. I am excited to hear this. Okay. Now. Here's the idea of Devo 2.0. Some record executive, hopefully fired after this at Disney, thought it would be a good idea to do a Devo cover band of children. Oh, no. <laughs> why? why? Why would you do that, man? And they actually did get the involvement of Devo, like their approval. And then also because there wasn't... Has Mark Mother's boss said anything about this? Yeah, he said many things about this. Like, he was involved. It's funny that you mentioned this around the soundtrack since he, seeing how much I mean, score stuff he does. Like, he's worked with uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. He did Life Aquatic. Rugrats. He just did Thor Ragnarok a couple years he did ago. Rugrats. He arguably made the best Marvel score. He did Rugrats. Doctor Strange. Mother, Mark Mother's boss did Rugrats. Right, he did. Um... But anyway, so Mark, so Mark, so, you know, they didn't have time. Like the kids could perform their instruments and they like did do live shows, but for the actual album, they like apparently didn't have the time to record like them actually playing their instruments or what have you. So it's Devo themselves doing like the back backing of it. And then, you know, the kids singing. The, the tracks. Oof. And then, of course, because it's supposed to be Devo for kids, there's some, like, changes. Like, for freedom of choice, instead of, you know, freedom from choice is what you want, they just repeat freedom of choice again. So it's like, freedom of choice, da, 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 freedom of choice. <laughs> and then <laughs> I... It's like making Gigi Allen for kids. <laughs> okay, maybe not that bad, but close. I'll say this, Devo 2.0 for... You remember the Disney Mania albums? Or they did have, like, pop stars I, do covers of Disney songs. It sounds vaguely like v that thing the 80s all over. Talking about Beatlemania, but slightly less scummy. Um, Because at least they're doing this with a band that's still alive. Who's majority member? No, no at least. I think Devo 2.0 was inspired by... What was the name of that, like, ABBA cover... Kids ABBA cover group that turned into Stop Doing ABBA? I don't remember. Kids Bop? I no, think? not, not Kids Bop. Kids Bop's a whole different thing. Stuff all blurs together for me, honestly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you remember the Disney uh, Mania albums, right? Yeah, kind of. Where, where they do, like, you know, pop stars doing covers of uh, A-Teens. That's the name of the, like, Kids ABBA cover band. Right. But that's neither here. can't tell what's the worst disservice to ABBA. That or the Mamma Mia movies. Um... Fuck, what they? Yeah, so Disney Mania, you know, a series of albums that do, uh, you know, pop stars covering Disney songs, like, and then I think like, okay, now I remember they did one of those for Nightmare Before Christmas. I think they had like Marilyn Manson do this is Halloween. Nightmare Revisited, which actually that has that's some legit cred. Disney Mania was made like to plug like you know Disney Channel stars and also get some other pop stars that are popular with the kids, like Smash Mouth or the Baja Men. Did you ever... Oh, no. Did you ever want to hear the Jonas Brothers cover Yo-Ho, A Pirate's Life for Me? Yeah, no, I, I'm, yeah, I'm good, not, man. I'm I think I can man. go my life without that. Well, <laughs> well, for, I think, Disney Mania 4, 
Devo 2.0 did a cover of The Monkey's Uncle from the Merlin Jones sequel, the monk of the same name, which the original song was performed by like Annette Funicello and the Beach Boys. But the Devo 2.0 cover of The Monkey's Uncle, I mean, it is still Devo themselves doing the backing of it. It actually sounds really good. Like you can oh, actually see Devo, early 90s. you can actually see like Devo themselves doing it because it ties in with like stuff like they're working in a coal mine cover for the heavy metal soundtrack, you know? Right. I was about to bring that up because I love heavy metal, but that soundtrack is ten times better than the movie. Oh, no, most of it isn't even metal. Most, I mean, like the most metal it gets is like Black Sabbath or the Blue Oyster Cult. The rest is like Devo, Stevie Nicks, Cheap Trick. That Cheap Trick song is great. Well, Reach Out. I I like You Must Be Dream, but to Reach Out is one of those songs like I always put on when I play video games. I love that Donald Fagan song on it, True Companions. But yeah, how does that yeah, belong like on something titled Heavy Metal? I love that that or Steve that Stevie Nicks song Blue Lamp is one is a song that I really like because it's kind of soothing. Blue Lamp is like I put it on at the end of the night of the party. Blue Lamp is great. That 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 is that whole soundtrack. Turns of the Psychic Wars that is not metal, but it fits it perfectly because it's like this huge Frank Rosetta type thing. Yeah, but like imagine looking at this one with like I don't know Molly Hatchet album cover or the John Carter books. What's also weird about heavy metal is that you know sometimes like the sound the soundtracks they don't seem to really fit like what's going on like veteran of the psychic yeah the use of veteran of the psychic wars is so baffling to me because it's not one of the or like i figured it would be like it's like the b7 b17 segment or the turn of it but no it's just them looking for like gold or something the, the, the lock the, the, the minor but yeah the, the green orb um actually i have an idea what but i might pitch you on the air i say we do a crossover over heavy metal it's animated, even if it's not Disney, but it would still, I think, fit in both of our uh, repertoire, so to speak. I'll talk with I, Amanda yeah. about that, because that actually does sound very interesting. Like, I am a huge fan of heavy metal. Like, I got the soundtrack on vi- vinyl. I got the blue and Blu-ray. I love the magazine. Like, that that Richard Corbin whole aesthetic is 100% my shit. Here's an idea. Here's an idea for, like, a Lost in the Vault crossover that I think is even more appropriate. Um, you ever heard of Pinocchio and the Emperor of the Night? Oh, no. It's an unofficial sequel to Disney's Pinocchio that was made by Filmation. Like, Filmation had a scheme. He-Man? Yeah, the same company that made He-Man. It's sad to me that they're owned by a makeup company now, like L'Oreal. Yeah, they are owned by L'Oreal. They, and I said, But I think they, like, what? They sold off their library to DreamWorks, I think? Yeah. But, but... And that's how they got to do new He-Man stuff for Netflix, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's like exactly right. DreamWorks also owns Rocky and Bullwinkle, and they've got a revival of that for Amazon Prime. I didn't even know that. Which, but, so, back in, like, the late 80s, early 90s, Filmation had this scheme. This was before Disney started doing, like, their direct-to-video sequels. They would do unofficial sequels to Disney movies, and... Under the logic that because they're based off of stories that are in the public domain, Disney couldn't do jack to them. But Disney tried. I mean, Disney tried to take legal smart. action against them, and they end up only making two before they like were went bankrupt and were sold. They did Pinocchio and the Emperor of the Night, and then an unofficial Snow White sequel entitled Happily Ever After. I'm gonna Google this right now because I'm kind of curious to see how it looks. Well, we appreciate you having. Uh, we appreciate you being on the podcast. I hope I didn't I made a comic book adaptation of this. I hope that this is the weirdest. Thing. I hope I didn't derail things too much, and I hope. No, I, I appreciate. Dude, it's not as organized as it usually is. So, 
don't feel too bad. Yeah, we usually get off topic uh, pretty frequently. I'm used sometimes within like the first five minutes. I think I'm used to more used to my show where things stay pretty on the ball for the most part because we don't just discuss them. We also like discuss like the behind the scenes history of the people involved. Like for our Shaggy Dog um, episode, we talked about one of the director's previous films, uh, Ready to Rumble, and how it helped take down the WCW. I mean, we talked about John Borman with Zardoz and uh, Vin Benders with Until the End of the World, so we're trying to get more into that too, just so we get a little more comprehensive. My advice for, for, like, yeah. for like research purposes, trades are your friend. Uh, thank you. I will write that down. You know, Variety, Deadline, Hollywood Reporter. I, I know exact. I got. I got that. Okay. So actually, being uh, a uh, easy writer rating bowls. I think we might have to f- we're gonna take a few titles mentioned and then talk about it on the podcast at some point. The new Hollywood era was awesome. We use like the Internet Archive like digital library sometimes. Like I use that for research on the Popeye episode to like talk about Robert Evans. Nice. You mentioned that because I was thinking about doing a double, a special double episode where we talk about the long goodbye and inherent vice. Yes. Like, hey Chandler, have you ever seen the long goodbye? I have not, but I've heard you talk about it. Yeah, it's. I like inherent vice more, but I think it's worth interesting as like this kind of deconstruction of the Raymond Chandler books, like you know Philip Marlowe, that whole hard boiled detective shtick. Yeah, that would be a good. It's a really John Williams score too. Fun fact. Oh, nice. Worked with Robert. I mean, a lot. Like, he did the score for Images, too, which we are definitely covering at some point. I think that's it, guys. Yeah. I think we've run out of things to talk about. I, I'm all <laughs> talked out, honestly, which it takes a bit to get me to be talked out. Oh, yeah, Meet the Feebles. Yeah, I... Really interesting. I, Overall, I, what, it's, what would it's you on do? YouTube, it's on Tubi, which means it's a free other way. If you're interested... Give it a if look. you watch it on Tubi, you Wild. do have to like sit through ads, which right now means you gotta see Verizon patting themselves on the back for how its employees are handling the coronavirus. Oh god, I'm so sick of seeing those ads. I can't tell what's worse. Those ads are the ones where they show families saying, we love Disney, Randy blindly and lovingly. Well, are you talking about those like, ads where they're getting like the, like the real life people um, talking about what they've been watching yeah. on Disney Plus? Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, those. We've done. Uh, it makes me sick. Amanda, we've done a lot of talking about like Disney Plus and like strengths and weaknesses. Per- we're particularly interested in what's been going on behind the scenes of that Lizzie McGuire revival, which, by the way, they're doing that. Yeah, they are. But it's getting. I heard they're doing a Say by the Bell revival, and I saw the trailer for. I'm like, oh my god, I feel so old, and I didn't even grow up with this show. Um, here's the thing about the Lizzie McGuire. I mean, that in the worst way possible. Like, as in, doing this really. Here's the thing about the Lizzie McGuire revival is that, you know, um, Lizzie McGuire and the original creator, um, Hillary Duff and the original creator, Terry Minsky, were like coming back. It'll be about like a 30-year-old Lizzie. But then Disney was concerned that that it was that what they were doing was like family inappropriate because, you know, it had like Lizzie McGuire, you know, having a sex life as any regular. Let's not say regular. That's because that's insulting to sexuals. Um, I should say, and um, as like any typical heterosexual um, woman would, and Disney objected to this, and they either fired or ter- Terry Minsky or she quit, 
And now Hillary. Like a like something like New Girl, or were they gonna go like full HBO girls with this? Like <laughs> I think how like in depth were they gonna go? I think more along the lines of New Girl, but Hillary Duff's pissed because you know she I was, don't blame her. This sounds like a, a passion project. Yeah, and she would like took it to the public ask requesting that Disney move the project to Hulu because in her words, she felt that um because Lizzie McGuire was like a role model to like kids back in the day, it's her responsibility to like accurately depict um, the life of like a 30 year old for those who grew up with Lizzie McGuire, which, you know, kudos to get that Hillary Duff for you get know, that. Even if I don't think it's, I am absolutely not the target audience for this. Kudos <laughs> to Hillary Duff for like having integrity and, you know, actually caring about the relationship between her audience, between her audience and the character, because she could have easily have just like taken the easy nostalgia revival money and ran, but she's, but she seems genuinely committed to this and like props to her. And, and they moved the Love Simon show to Hulu too. Yeah, they did. But oh god, they just got so much shit for that. Apparently, it was because of underage drinking. Oh, huh. that's the weird. Then they do edits. They did edits to Splash that really made me angry. Oh yeah. That's the thing, Disney's- Where they extended, like, Daryl Hannah's hair to cover her ass, and it, even though, one, it's obviously fake, and two, that is the softest er, this PG I've ever seen. It, like, really? You couldn't have let that slide? Disney's been very inconsistent on what's considered appropriate for their service or not. Apparently, they have different appropriateness standards for, for different, like, franchises. So, like, if you're Disney or Pixar, you've got harsher appropriateness standards than Marvel or Lucasfilm. And you're like The Simpsons, you get a free pass? Yeah, pretty much. And... Uh, it, the thing about that makes me mad about the whole Simpsons thing is that they uploaded the wrong aspect ratio, which cuts out a lot of the best jokes. They're fixing that, apparently. I'm hoping so. Um, but... But he... What... I think the solution is that I'm surprised Disney didn't consider this day one. Right now, their parental control is like Netflix's, where there's like, for everyone, and then kids only. They really need like a sliding, gradual parental control that yeah, goes that makes from sense. like I don't know three to eighteen and up, and then more and more stuff becomes available depending on what age you set it at. Actually, that reminds me. Uh, before we go, I wanted to, I had another idea. Either we cross over do heavy metal, or we do David Lynch's The Straight Story, since that technically is a Disney movie. It's also a David Lynch movie, so it kind of crosses both of our ideas. Oh yeah, you you sure. could absolutely guest on. I'll talk with Amanda about this, but we would love to have you guys on to discuss the straight story. That, that would be amazing. awesome. I cannot wait. And then, and then the possibilities open up even wider when we get to, because right now we're holding off from like the touchstone pictures and Hollywood pictures and Miramax films. But like when yeah. we get there, do they still own your Miramax or is that owned by universal now? Cause I think I saw the, the Miramax logo on the new Halloween. Um, well the Miramax logo is on the new Halloween because of like, previous rights ownership rights things it's like weird contractual shit but disney owned miramax from like 1994 to 2009 i think 2010 they own them now i just made a realization frank miller Sin city is technically a disney movie yeah we oh my gosh we could absolutely <laughs> i'm not sure if sin city would necessarily qualify depends on if you consider it a classic or not but but pretty much, our- I don't think it's weird. I mean, it's weird, but it's not like the most weird thing. Like we're trying to go at least somewhat obscure like, stuff people wouldn't have heard of. Like we, I want to try and be make this something like, hey, it, we're in like a discovery type thing. They like buried treasure. 
pretty much our standard, exactly. pretty much our rule is that Disney had to have been involved with like its initial theatrical release. We can't do like any yeah. like pre Disney Star Wars or the Muppet movie or stuff like that. I think a straight story would be a great one to do. They just added that on Disney Plus like a couple weeks ago. I'm so happy because it's been out absent from streaming and the DVD was out of print for so long. They don't even have it on Blu-ray. They're also adding Fantastic Mr. Fox on Disney Plus soon. Nice. I wonder if they'll do the same thing with Isle of Dogs. It goes to some dark, darker places than Fantastic Mr. Fox. I think Isle of Dogs could still fit. It's possible. I haven't fit. seen it. Isle of Dogs was actually one of my favorite movies of 2018. I don't think Isle of Dogs is any more intense than, say, like Roger Rabbit, and that's on there. That's fair. I still have Roger, Roger Rabbit on VHS, too. I think I, I actually, speaking of which, one of the movies we're going to be talking about in July is uh, Manhunter, the Michael Mann uh, Hannibal Lecter movie. We're going to be talking about that, and I got that on VHS for like a dollar, and it still works. That's awesome. Even on a crappy VHS tape, Michael Mann still makes a movie that looks like a million bucks. I really need to see Manhunter. I think the only Michael Mann film I've seen is Heat, but Heat is awesome. Yeah, Heat is about as perfect as action movies get, in my estimation. Yeah. I keep... Oh, Dallin, where can people find you on Twitter? Oh, yes. Um, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Dallin Agatone, so my full name. That's D-A-L-L-I-N-A-G-A-T-O-N-E. And I also we also have a Twitter handle for my podcast itself, at Lost Vault Cast. Or you can find the podcast on Instagram, at Lost Vault Podcast. We also have a website for the podcast, lost-in-the-vault dot simplecast.com and you can also find lost in the vault remember that name lost in the vault on apple podcasts google podcasts and spotify please check it out we work really hard on it we release a new episode um every other friday we also occasionally do like a special bonus episodes or like audio commentaries like we did an audio commentary for toy story and we're planning on doing more in the future, we're talking doing a goofy movie audio commentary. Nice. Anyway, you can find Warped Celluloid on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. Really, trust me, I'll upload the YouTube page at some point. It's just completely slipped. Busy in paperwork. I've also been working on the book. I mean, I've still got like four more drawings to do for it before we can go publish. I'm gonna have paperback version soon. That's gonna be cool. That you can also find me on Twitter at the Renegade Jack. Ditto for Instagram. And uh, if you want to follow Warp Celluloid on uh, Twitter, you can find it at Twitter. I shouldn't have this memorized, but I don't. You can find us at Warp Celluloid. <laughs> and you couldn't you remember the name of your own podcast. Letterbox. Look, man, I'm tired. I've been up since like 5 a.m. <laughs> I I woke up at like what? Uh, I shouldn't. Ju I'm just a naturally early riser. But yeah, me too. Thank you very much for having me on this show, by the way. It was great. This is actually my first podcast guest slot. We were supposed No, totally, man. I'm happy I'm happy to have you. It's been I wanted to do a podcast with like this with you for a year. Because I'm glad we could have you on here. Oh if you want to come on again, just give us a, a ring and we'll definitely have it. Oh, sure. Have things set up. Get contact with me anytime and I'll talk with Amanda about getting you guys on Lost in the Vault. That'd be really fun. Yeah, the straight story sounds like one I'd really love to talk about. Yeah, totally. Uh, or Tron. You mentioned Tron. Tron. 
I just got the Blu-ray for the original, and I really want to rewatch it because that is a movie that I recognize its flaws, but it still makes me as happy as I was when I was ten years old when I see it today. That's awesome. For Tron Legacy, Daft Punk's score is perfect. Which do you prefer, Wendy Carlos's score for the original Tron or Daft Punk's score for Legacy? Legacy, honestly, I like Wendy Carlos, but that like Legacy one takes things to the next level. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta go with Wendy Carlos. I just like the grander, more orchestral sound. I Fair. guess. I honestly like her work for The Shining more, honestly, because it's more memorable. Mm. Yeah, she, I'm glad they used the it Shining in Doctor Sleep recently. I, I didn't see Doctor Sleep, but uh, I heard it was good. It goes to put the director's cut out on digital. It's mu- definitely worth seeing. I'm picking up the Blu-ray as soon as I get that. I get some more uh, money in my account. Nice. I'll check it out. I, 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 I get no reviews. Anyway, Dallin, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Anyway, this has been Warped Celluloid with your host, Jack Rourke, and your co-host, Chandler Williams. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. See you around.